Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. All right, good to see everybody today. We're in our series, um, The Church, and we're looking at the book of Acts. We want to welcome our podcast listeners and uh, just grateful for them and the people that are watching online and also our Facebook Live community. And uh, we want to say hello to Chase Ferruccio that's listening uh, in Vancouver, British Columbia. He's in college. And, uh, uh, you know, Chase, uh, good to hear you. Hey, let's on the count of three, let's all say hi, Chase. One, two, three. So we have a lot of our college students that go away that still listen to Bayshore, so uh, Chase is one of those. So love this chapter, love it, love it. It's a great, great chapter, chapter 10. Um, Jody and Tom did a great job reading that. I'm watching Tom and Jody read the story and loving the story, and I'm thinking about just Tom on there. You know Tom uh, Monroe, who's been at our church 28 years. Tom Monroe, an engineer. Tom Monroe was an atheist. An atheist who did not believe there was a God, and Tom has been serving God for almost 30 years now or more. So what a wonderful story about him. So uh, in this story, we have uh, the story about this guy by the name of Cornelius, and uh, this chapter in and of itself is pivotal in the book of Acts because of this. When you read the story, the Bible says, while Peter was preaching to, at, in Cornelius' house, the house was full of people, and as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls and they speak in tongues. Deja vu. You listen to that. Wow, that sounds like something else. Well, that's just like what happened in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell and the people spoke in tongues in chapter 2 of Acts. Which is interesting about this in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, all of these people that are filled with the Holy Spirit are all all Gentiles. They're completely Gentiles. Every one of them is Gentiles. Every man, every woman, every dog is a Gentile dog in this, in this gathering. In the day of Pentecost, if you look at Acts chapter 2, I think it's verse 5, and it says that the Holy Spirit fell and all God-fearing Jews would fill the Holy Spirit. So Jewish people were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, all Jewish people. In uh, Acts chapter 10, all Gentile people. So people, scholars call Acts chapter 10 the Gentile Pentecost. So what does it say? It shows that God is doing something bigger than the Jewish world. God is doing something in the whole world. It says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, would have everlasting life. So we see in the book of Acts this expansion of God's kingdom. And it's so cool that we're a part of that, and you and I are a part of that. I remember the first time I was in, uh, in Germany and, uh, on a mission trip, and I went to speak at this church and heard all these Christians in German uh, sing the same worship songs that we sang, but in German, to see how, how big the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is growing, and it's big. So we got this guy named Cornelius that, uh, that finds the Lord, and uh, he has a vision, and the vision says for him to, uh, an angel actually appears to him, and the angel says, send to Joppa for a man named Peter. So 
What's interesting about this guy named Cornelius, first of all, let's talk about some things we know about him. Let's put Acts chapter 10 verses 1 and 2 on the, on the screen here so we can look at it a little bit and kind of pick this apart. Acts chapter 10 verse 1, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. Okay, he's a centurion. What does that mean? A centurion was a Roman soldier that had a hundred soldiers under him. He was a he was a leader. He was a, let's think about this guy, Cornelius. You know, I don't want to offend anybody, but this wasn't a girly man. This was a, this was a man. This was a man's man. He had been, how did he get to be a centurion? He got to be a centurion because he led men into battle. So he's seen blood and he's seen war. And this is a, uh, this is a soldier. I want to put a picture of a Marine up here. And I want you to think about this is, this is the image of Cornelius that you need to have. A picture of a Marine is coming up any moment. It's going to happen. It's going to happen right now. There's a picture of a Marine that we had somewhere. Okay, there's a Marine. Just imagine that I'm a Marine right now. Look at me, okay? There it is. There's a Marine. Okay, so this is Cornelius. This is the guy. He's not, this is the image I want you to have in your head. He's not a Sunday school guy. He's not a little Sunday school guy with, you know, white dainty hands. He is a Marine. He's Cornelius. He's a, he's a centurion. So he's a leader of men. He's got a hundred soldiers under him. Now, when we think about a centurion, let's put the scripture back on, this, on the screen here. The cent, uh, the, it says that Cornelius was a centurion. At Caesarea, there was a man named uh, Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. Now, regiment, some translations, some translations say cohort. So basically, a regiment or a cohort was, uh, was six centurions would put their groups together and they would have a cohort or a regiment, and that was 600 soldiers. Now, if you were going to have a legion, you've heard of Roman legion, a Roman legion is 6,000 soldiers. So you have Cornelius as a leader in this uh, military system, and, uh, and we know that. And we know another thing about him. He's from Caesarea. He's from Caesarea, at Caesarea. Now, I've been to Caesarea. Caesarea is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a beach town. It's absolutely stunning. When you read the Bible and you read the New Testament, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, you have a tendency to think about these Roman political people like Herod and Pilate, that they all lived in Jerusalem. They lived in Jerusalem, and they tried to keep things in order. Nothing could be further from the truth. They didn't live in Jerusalem. They didn't want to have anything to do with Jerusalem. Jerusalem had crazy people in it. And they lived in Caesarea. Caesarea had 250,000 people. It was built by Herod the Great. And it was a, it was a beautiful little Rome on the, on the city, uh, on, the, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, uh, let me show you the map we had last week so you can just get a perspective. Here's Jerusalem down here. And if you drew a straight line from Jerusalem all the way to Caesarea, that's just a little bit less uh, from here to Dover. So it's not that far away. So they, the Pilate and Herod and Herod Agrippa and all the people we read about, the political people, they lived there. They lived next to the, boat, the beach. That's where they wanted to live. And when the Jews would have their, their festivals like Pentecost and uh, you know, Passover, those political figures and, Ro- and the Roman soldiers, the big, big wigs, would make their trip down there and hang out in Jerusalem to try to keep order while, you know, they were having this festival. As soon as it's over with, they're out of there, they're back in Caesarea. Now, Caesarea 
Uh, let me show you some pictures of Caesarea, just to get you get a feel for this. This is a this is part of Caesarea, and this is the Mediterranean Sea. Let's show another picture. Uh, this is an aqueduct. There's an aqueduct. I I ran out here and played around this aqueduct, and this aqueduct came from I think Mount Carmel, and it, it brought water there, and they had fresh water. The Romans had this incredible thing, so it was a very sophisticated city for its day. And that's where. Uh, so let's show what else we got. The uh, here's the, here. This is the most interesting thing about Caesarea. This was a man-made harbor. Uh, the Mediterranean Sea can be kind of rough. And so Herod the Great put these big stones in here and he made this, this uh, marina where the ships could park. And uh, this is a fascinating thing. So it was one of the seven wonders of the world. I don't know if it exactly, actually was, but it was like that. So that was that. They had an amphitheater. Here's a picture of the amphitheater. The amphitheater seated 35,000 people. So this is where he lived. He lived in a really, really amazing thing, uh, amazing place. So he's a soldier, he lives in a modern town, he has a hundred soldiers under him, uh, and we know this, it says he's a God-fearer, a God-fearer. What does that mean? Okay, what that means is, is that he is a Gentile, but he's converted to Judaism, which means that he goes to synagogue, even though just Jewish people go to synagogue mainly, he's a Gentile, he goes to synagogue and he's reading the Torah. He prays two times a day like the Jews. Now, the Jews, they pray twice a day. Muslims, they pray five times a day. Jews pray twice a day, 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. And the reason they pray at 9 a.m. is that's when the morning sacrifice is made in the temple. And 3 p.m. is when the evening sacrifice is made. So Jews everywhere pray at 9 and 3 p.m. So when he has his vision, if you read the story, he has his vision of the angel at 3 p.m. That's because he's praying. And uh, so he's, and he's reading the Torah He's, he's, uh, he's going to synagogue, and uh, he's, he's probably fasting. It doesn't say that, but he's probably fasting, and he's praying, and all of that. And he's giving alms to the poor. He's giving alms to the poor. And there's a lot in the Old Testament. In fact, it says in the book of Leviticus, Jewish people, when you would harvest your crops... Uh, you couldn't harvest the corners of your crop. If you were like picking grapes, you could only go over the grapes vines one time because you're supposed to leave grapes on so poor people could get those grapes. And then when you harvested your field, you left the corners so the poor people would come get the corners of the field. And so the, the, the Old Testament was very conscientious about the poor. And listen to this. Proverbs says this. This is a verse that I just got while I was reading this week. Proverbs says, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. So I just talked to a lady at, our first, at the end of our first service, brand new to Bayshore, and she served in the food pantry for the first time this week, and she was telling me all the stories of the people she met that she was helping and uh, all of that. And so, you know, the whole idea of helping the poor is just an amazing part of Scripture, Old Testament as well. So we got Cornelius doing all this stuff. You know, he's, uh, he's, doing, he's, doing, he's, just, he's living like a Jew. He's probably not eating pork anymore. He's trying to live a good Jewish life. He's not got circumcised. He's not ready for that yet, but he's done just about everything else. And so that's, that's the guy. That's the guy. And he's having this, he, he's doing this stuff. And, and he's converted from the Roman system of their gods to worship the one God, the one God of Israel. And why did he switch from, why did he switch from the Roman gods? Why did he do that? Because it wasn't working for him. The Romans, they were lazy. They were lazy. They took all the Greek gods, you know, they took Apollo and all that. And they took, the Romans took all the Greek gods and just put different names on them. They took a post-it, 
Put, you know, instead of, uh, you know, in, in, instead of Zeus, they made it Juniper. They just changed the names, and he knew that. It was empty. It was a bunch of nonsense. And he was tired, and it wasn't working, and he was empty. You know what the, uh, St. Augustine says? We'll put St. Augustine's quote on here. St. Augustine uh, says this wonderful thing. St. Augustine says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. That's true. Everything in life will not satisfy you unless you know Jesus. Unless I know Jesus, Jesus is what makes life full and rich. I, was, uh, I got a new computer, uh, um, uh, a Mac Pro computer, a Mac Pro, uh, I think it's just called a Mac Pro, and I had a Mac uh, Air and a real light computer. And uh, you know, the, th- you know the, the most amazing, you know, the three best decisions I've ever made in my life was first when I met Jesus, the second decision when I met Karen, the third decision when I switched from a general PC to a Mac. I mean, that's, that's, that is the best decision I've ever made. So, uh, but I got this new computer. Jeremy said, your computer is, a, your, your computer is getting, computer's getting low, slow and all that. So he got me this new computer, it's a Mac Pro, and the other day I'm trying to plug in trying to plug in my wire to my, you know, my new Mac Pro computer, and it wouldn't plug in. It wouldn't plug in. I'm like, you know, trying to jam it. What's wrong with this thing? Couldn't get it in there, you know, and, and it was the wrong cord. It was the old cord for the Mac Air computer. So I went and got the right, I got the right cord and plugged it in, and hallelujah chorus, I hear it. It was wonderful. It's just life was good again. You see, listen, you're, you got a certain size hole in your heart. I got a certain size hole in my heart. And only, only Jesus fits that. And he had tried the gods and uh, it wasn't working for him. And so St. Augustine said, let's put that St. Augustine quote back on the screen. St. Augustine said, uh, let's say, say this with me. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Let me quote another theologian. Mick Jagger. Here's a picture of Mick Jagger up here. <laughs> Mick Jagger says, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Hey, Cornelius couldn't get no satisfaction. He was empty. It wasn't working for him. And so he's praying one day. And as he's praying, an angel comes to him. And the angel says... Cornelius, your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial before God. And your prayers have been heard by God. Send a Joppa for a man named Simon Peter who's staying with Simon the Tanner. And I read that verse and I think, isn't there a lot of worse people in this world that need Peter to come and minister to them? Because Cornelius is a pretty good guy. He's going to the synagogue. He's reading the Torah. He's helping the poor. And if you're going to take the apostle Peter, why don't you send him to some, you know, some prostitute or some tax collector who really needs to hear about Jesus? But the text says that the angel said, send to Joppa for Simon Peter. And it says in chapter 11, who gives a commentary on chapter 10, that the angel said to Cornelius, send to Joppa for Simon Peter, who would tell you how to be saved. 
He will tell you how to be saved. What do you mean? You mean Cornelius, this guy, this guy who, uh, you know, who's taking care of the poor, this guy who's going to synagogue, this guy who's probably memorizing the Torah, this guy who is praying at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. every day, this guy needs to be saved? Seems like he would be okay. What I would expect in this story is the angel would come and the angel would appear to Cornelius and the angel would say, good job, high five Cornelius, fist bump. You are killing it, man. You're helping the poor. You're reading the Torah. Good job. God sent me to just tell you, keep up the good work. That's what you would expect, but the angel says don't. The angel says, send a Joppa for Simon Peter, who will tell you how to be saved. You know, when I was in high school, I worked for this grocery store, and the grocery store was called Super Thrift in Seaford, and I worked at Super Thrift, and uh, I got out of school early on, on work release and got out at 1 o'clock, and some days I would work till 10 o'clock at night, and I should have been studying. That was a big mistake for me, but I was, uh, wanted to make some money, so I did that in my last 11th and 12th grade year of school, went to school in the morning, then worked. And uh, I remember, I got a lot of fulfillment out of working. I just loved to work, and, and I was like, a, and, and, and uh, I, was, I was a stock clerk, so I, I stocked, you know, all the shelves, and I, I, on Sunday afternoon, I cleaned the meat uh, tray, the meat, the meat cases, and did all that stuff. And, and uh, we had this, my manager, the guy that was the manager, a guy named Bob Gatos. Bob Gatos, uh, he was from York, Pennsylvania, and um, Bob used to smoke a cigar, and uh, he was an odd kind of guy, you know, kind of weird kind of guy. And I remember one day I'm working. I mean, I'm hustling. Man, I'm working. I'm stocking those shelves. I'm tearing those boxes up. I'm taking those little carts back in the back room, getting more boxes of, uh, of stuff for the grocery store. And I'm stocking. And Bob Gatus, he comes out. He comes down the aisle. I'm working in it. He's got his cigar. And he comes up to me. He said, Dan. Dan, you're doing a good job, man. Good job, Dan. Big money's on the way. Big money's on the way. Well, I'll tell you what. Man, that really touched my heart. I mean, big money was not on the way. I never got big money. But it made me feel good. And what I think ought to happen in the story, I think that God ought to send an angel with a cigar saying... Good job, Cornelius. You're doing good, man. But the angel didn't do that. The angel said, send a Joppa for Simon Peter who's staying in Simon the Tanner's house and he will tell you how to be saved. Because even though you're doing all this good stuff, even though you're feeding the poor, even though you're taking care of things, even though you're going to synagogue, you are not saved. And here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter, Cornelius doing all the good stuff he was doing. Cornelius feeding the poor. Cornelius reading the Torah. Cornelius uh, going to synagogue. Cornelius praying 9 and 3 p.m. Uh, every day. He was just as lost as the prostitute walking the streets of Jerusalem. He was just as lost as the tax collectors. He was just as lost as the most profane person because nobody's good works are good enough. 
Nobody's good works are good enough. And this story captures the essence of salvation, the essence of salvation. It's not of works lest any man should boast. It, you can't pray enough. You can't serve the poor enough. You can't do enough to get right with God. God had to send Jesus to be your perfect representation and to give you his righteousness in order for you to be saved. So when I read about Cornelius, it just convicts my heart. It makes me realize that in order for any person to be right with God, it's got to be Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. And there's never a clearer text that shows how people can be good and be lost. People can be moral and be lost. People can be religious and be lost. Billy Graham, Billy Graham said this. Billy Graham said the greatest mission field in the world is in the church in America. People that go to church, people that sit there and they have not yet knelt at the feet of Jesus and made Jesus Lord. And so when Cornelius gets that visitation from the angel. The angel didn't give him a high five. I mean, it was good he was helping the poor. You know, God's just all about that. That's good. It was good that he was doing this. But that angel never said, listen, you got it. You got it. Just hang on. Keep with it. Keep with it. The angel didn't say that. The angel said, you got to hear the message. You don't have the message. And you're not saved yet. You're not saved yet. And you need to, you need to have this transformative experience with Jesus. And Jesus needs to... Become your savior. I was, uh, I was thinking about baseball. You know, I don't like, I don't watch a lot of baseball. You know, what do you have to get inspired about if you're an Orioles fan? I mean, I don't have that much. You know, I don't watch a lot of baseball. You know, some of you watch, watch baseball. But I'm, I'm fascinated with the idea of baseball. And I watch some baseball. But, you know, here's the interesting thing about baseball. In baseball, your batting average is what really matters. Your batting average. And, uh, you know, if you have... If you have a 300-plus batting average, you are one of the best baseball players in, in the major league. Did you know that? Now, this year, here's a picture. Here's a, a picture of the, of, this is the best American League batting average is Mookie Betts of the Boston Red Sox. And his batting average is 346, which means that when he got up to bat, when he got up to bat, a little over three times out of ten, he got a hit. The other seven times, or six and a half times in his case, or six and three quarters, whatever that would equal out to be, he struck out, or he flied out. Isn't that interesting? So, you know, 346. I mean, you know, that's interesting to me. And here's the deal. Here's... Here's what it is. Cornelius had a great batting average. He had a 346, but it wasn't good enough to get him to heaven. It wasn't good enough to get him to heaven. You know what your batting average has to be to get to heaven? What your batting average has to be to get to heaven? Your batting average has to be 1,000. You have to have a 1,000 batting average, which is a perfect batting average. You say, well, Pastor Danny, there's no way I can ever have a 1,000 uh, batting average 
And uh, I, 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 I strike out, I, I, I mess up sometimes, and I fly out sometimes. Let me ask a question, a personal question to everybody in this room here this morning. Let me ask this question. How, how many of you this week, you messed up somehow, some form, some fashion? Just raise your hand. Just raise up real, wave them up a little bit. I messed up this week. I sinned. I walked. I had to walk down the road yesterday and pray in my devotions. I was praying. I messed up. We had our grandkids this week. And I'm telling you, they were ripping my office apart at one point. And I mean, I, didn't, I wasn't like Jesus for just a minute. I mean, I just wasn't like for Jesus. And I, and I, I apologize. I have to repent of that right here. How many, how many of you have got grandparents? you got grandkids that you're not always like Jesus. Just raise your hand. You know, you've heard the little thing. I've seen the lights of Paris. I've seen the, I've seen the lights of Rome. But there's nothing like the lights of my kids taking my grandkids home. How many have ever heard that story? So, uh, I love my grandkids. Love them, love them, love them. I'm being more honest than I really want to be. I hate when the spirit of confession comes on me, but anyhow. But let me ask you something. Did you strike out some in November? Did you strike out some in November? Were you always patient? Were you always on top of your game? You had good moments. You had a good, you got up to bat sometimes, man, whoa, you had a good day, man. You're like sharing the Lord, you're praying, you're acting like Jesus. You had one of those days, and then the next day, you're not so much, not so much. You got to have a 1,000 batting average, and how do you get that? How do you get the 1,000 batting average? is when God sent Jesus to this earth. The book of Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way we are yet without sin. He was tempted in every way like we are yet without sin. Every place I've fallen, every place I've stumbled, every place you've fallen, every place you've stumbled, when Jesus was at that very spot, he did not stumble, he did not fall. When you were up to bat and you struck out, when Jesus stood in your place in the batter's box, he hit a home run every time. So when I become a Christian, I kneel, I kneel at the feet of Jesus and I say, Jesus, I have sinned. I've fallen short of your glory. I've missed the mark. I've stumbled. I believe that you're the perfect son of God. I believe that you're Jesus. And I believe that you're holy. That you're righteous perfectly. And so Lord, I put my faith in you. That what should have happened to me happened to you on the cross. You took my punishment. You took the judgment of God in my place. And your perfect batting average... Your perfect batting average was given to me as a gift. So when I stand before the Lord, the Lord's going to say, the Lord's going to say, uh, Danny, what's your batting average? What's your batting average? I'm going to say, Jesus uh, is my batting average, Father. And I have a 1,000 batting average because of Jesus. Cornelius Cornelius had a good batting average, but it was not good enough. I love Andy Stanley's book. Andy Stanley's book is How Good is Good Enough? And that is the, move, that is the question, is it how good is good enough? The only thing that's good enough is the work of Jesus for us. And if you're grateful for Jesus, would you say rousing amen right now? Amen.
you're grateful for what he's done for us, would you say, thank you, Jesus? That's what the gospel's about. Cornelius teaches that principle. When I was in University of Delaware, I uh, took biology, of course. You all have to, you have to take biology. And a uh, biology professor was a guy that was kind of a cantankerous guy and walked with a limp. And he was kind of a, he was an intimidating guy. Everybody sat in the back. They're scared of him. And he was hard, hard teacher. And uh, first, first test came back, and most of us got 40s and 45s out of 100. And, uh, man, I thought, man, I'm not going to. My GPA has gone out the window in this class. I'm not going to make it. Well, thank God. He graded on a curve. Aren't you grateful when it's all dumb people in the class and they grade on a curve? Aren't you grateful for that? <laughs> graded on a curve. One of the guy at the end of the first service heard this message, and he said, you know, I heard a, one of his guys that he knows, country singer guy, wrote a song that says, I hope God grades on a curve. He wrote a song called, I hope God grades on a curve. Let me answer that, answer that question for you today. God does not grade on a curve. He does not grade on a curve. He will never grade on a curve. You have to get 100 have to get a hundred but thank God through the work of Jesus through the wonderful work of Jesus the one who has never sinned they say in the book of Revelation read the book of Revelation the creatures before the throne these beautiful symbolic creatures these wonderful creatures in the book of Revelation are crying out day and night holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty and, and, and John said at one point, I don't understand what all this means. I mean, I've studied it and taken courses and all that, but, you know, you've got this scroll that's got these seven seals on it. And, 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 and the angel asked Gabriel, or asked, one of the, uh, the, asked John, rather, the angel asked John, who is worthy, who's worthy to break the seals on this scroll? And John said, I wept because no one on heaven and earth was worthy to break the seals on the scroll. Then the angel said to him, be encouraged, John, because the lion, the lamb or the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the scroll and to break the seals because only Jesus is perfect and only Jesus is righteous. And you and I have been given the wonderful gift of the righteousness of Jesus through the blood of Jesus and the love of Jesus. Can you say big amen? amen. Let me close. I got, I got a whole other point that I'm not going to say. Uh, today says I'm out of time and let me just read you a little something here y'all talk among yourselves as I look for this it's on here somewhere I got all these notes if I used all these notes we would be here tomorrow <laughs> Andy Stanley's book I got that book this week I thought it's a good book to read while I'm getting ready for the sermon how good is good enough told this story in there. He said, the story is told of a Sunday school teacher whose assignment was to explain to the six-year-olds in class what someone had to do in order to go to heaven. In an attempt to discover what the kids already believed about the subject, he asked a few questions. If I sold my house and my car, had a big garage sale, and gave all my money to the church, would that get me to heaven? No, the children all answered. 
If I cleaned the church every day, mowed the yard, and kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me to heaven? Again, the answer was no. Well, then, he said, if I was kind to animals and gave candy to all the children to love my wife, would that get me to heaven? Again, they shouted, no. Well, then, how do I get to heaven? A boy in the back row stood up and said, you got to be dead. A lot of times we miss the point of how we get to heaven. And how we get to heaven is through the wonderful work of Jesus. Cornelius, Cornelius, send the Joppa men to get Simon Peter. And he will tell you about Jesus. And how you can be saved. Wonderful. Wonderful story. I love the cross. I love Jesus. When I got frustrated with my grandkids the other night, I just felt like, I felt terrible. Of course, I hugged them. And, you know, they had never seen me. Like, I just get, they were just like, you know, whatever. Oh my gosh, Jesus, come quickly. Anyhow, and I'm like, hugged him, loved on him. I thought about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus never, never sinned in word, thought, or deed. Never sinned. And so I stand before a holy God saying, God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. I want you to close your eyes and Kyron and the band's going to come out here in a moment and I want you just to, those of you that love Jesus and know Jesus, some of you need to be reminded of grace because here's the deal. When we become Christians, we're saved by grace. And in our years of serving God, we drift back into legalism over and over again in our thinking. Those of you that have been Christians for 20 years, I want you to just lift your hands to the Lord right now and say, Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your grace. I love you for your grace. I worship you for your grace. If you're here this morning and, and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, let me tell you something. You can't pray long enough. You can't come to Bayshore enough, enough Sundays. You can't do enough good works to get yourself right with God. It is not going to happen. In, in all the years that you live, it will never happen because God is too righteous for that. But he sent his son. And if you want to receive Jesus this morning as the Holy Spirit's moving in this service, just the way he moved 2,000 years ago in Cornelius' house, the Holy Spirit was moving and hearts were being changed by the power of God and people were coming to Jesus. Just lift your hands to the Lord. and Let's all pray this out loud together. Help people that are receiving Jesus right now as the Holy Spirit moves. Let's pray it with these people that our hearts are opening to Jesus. Let's say it, Lord Jesus, you're the only way I can be saved. There's no other name given among men whereby I can be saved. In the name of Jesus, I am a sinner, I am inconsistent, and I need your forgiveness. Jesus, you died on the cross in my place. You took my judgment. You took the justice of God for me. And I believe in you, and your righteousness is mine as a gift. Say this with me, I believe 
that Jesus is raised from the dead. He lives forevermore. And I make Jesus Lord of my life. Lift your hands up high. I make Jesus Lord of my life. I make Jesus Lord of my life. If you're here this morning, you uh, put your faith in the Lord during this service when let go of your good works and let go of all that. Would you just lift your hand and say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. Now lift your hand up high. Some of you came back to the Lord, maybe far away from the Lord. Let's all lift our hands I pray for, as I pray for you as you go into a new week. Lord, we thank you we go into a new week as saints of the living God. Lord, it seems like an odd thing we would call ourselves saints, but your word says that we've been made holy ones. We've been made saints of the kingdom of God through the work of Jesus. So we go into this new week full of hope, full of faith, full of joy, full of the good news. Help us to tell others about the wonderful thing that Jesus has done in our lives. Lord, uh, let it be natural, let it be real, let it be authentic as we tell our story of how we met Jesus. And we thank you for your love and your mercy. We ask you to bless us as we go out into this week. Prosper us and protect us in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise offering. God bless you guys.